0: we also would love to connect with you on our social media on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey, Kingdom Culture family, so good to see you here online. Welcome, welcome. Love for you to engage in the chat. I know that many people are coming back in person now, but if you're still online, if you live abroad, you're still connecting. So happy that you're here as well. If you don't feel comfortable coming back yet, so happy that you're here. Don't forget to engage in the chat. Let us know how we can pray for you. Send some fire emojis, send some wink emojis, high five emojis, props emojis, whatever emojis you want to send, just engage in the chat. Whether you're watching on Facebook or you're on YouTube as well, share the link, share the broadcast, subscribe if you haven't already to our YouTube channel. It would mean the world as we continue to move forward as an online community. So you are part of our online community. And so we're so excited that you are here. Last week, um, maybe you missed the in-person and or or you were there and you're online today whatever the case may be it was incredible so many healing testimonies uh, that i heard both from the actual service that day the actual experience and just hearing a bunch of testimonies of healing of people coming for the first time in person after they'd been online for about a year and, and, you know, things happened and God healed them during the broadcast. So I'm praying for you this morning that you may be one of those people that gets touched tangibly in your physical body, maybe it's emotions, maybe it's mental, maybe it's whatever the case may be for you, that I'm praying that you would have an experience with God. That's what our heart here is really at Kingdom Culture, is that we want to help everyone everywhere really experience the power of God. We want God to be a real uh, uh, real to us and make himself known to us in a real way and so that's what we're about here and so my prayer is that that would happen this morning for you and so we are in a theme as you heard last week and I would really love it if you went back last week listen to the message um, because I, I feel like as we move forward in this th- in this season it's going to be the theme it's not going to be a series but it's going to be a theme around really focusing on the kingdom the kingdom now Obviously, there's a little bit of semantics in that like everything we do should be about the kingdom. Every message should be, you know, have the underlying theme of the kingdom, of course. But we're really going to talk about and break down what Jesus talked about when he talked about the kingdom. And so we're going to continue to dive into that theme this morning. And so get ready, buckle up your seat belts and take out your notes. I'm really hoping you take something from this each and every week. We ended last week with a scripture or passage out of Matthew chapter 11 verse two to five, talking about John the Baptist, Jesus' relative, doubting and in some sort of unbelief at, at, at some level, whether or not Jesus Christ, his relative, the one who he baptized, the one who he proclaimed was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, the one who he also said, I'm not even worthy or fit to 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 use your shoes, to get my put my feet in your shoes. Like this same guy, in prison, John the Baptist is now doubting whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. And so he sends two of his disciples out to Jesus to ask him, like, are you really the one? Because now, you know, John is doubting. John is seeing what he's doing. He's John's message was prepare the way, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. Prepare uh, the way of the Lord. That that was his message. Really, it was a a cry from the wilderness. John the Baptist, who lived in the wilderness, his message was a message of the kingdom is at hand because Jesus was coming onto the scene. He would become the doorway, the at-hand experience to the kingdom, as I mentioned last week. And so we we hear the response of Jesus, sending back John the Baptist's disciples. To John in prison, saying, "In Matthew chapter eleven, verse four, Jesus answered and said to the disciples, Go and tell John the things which you hear, and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them.' And this, th- these two words that I really want to highlight, and I highlighted at the end of last week's message, is the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom." The message that Jesus came to introduce was a message of hearing and seeing. Hearing the words, hearing the message, hearing this hope that Jesus was, but also seeing the evidence that Jesus came to demonstrate as part of the kingdom. And that evidence looked like the blind saw, the lame walked, lepers were cleansed, the deaf heard, the dead were raised up and the poor would have This message of hope preached to them. So we have this physical hearing and seeing. It's, it's, It's so important. We need to hear a message. We need to hear the message of hope, but we also need to see the evidence in our own lives. It's not kingdom if you're hearing only. In fact, James says that if you're hearing only, you're actually in deception. You're deceiving yourselves. You can read that in James chapter one. If you're a hearer only of the word, you're in a form or a level of deception. And so the kingdom is about hearing. And seeing, that's what we want in our lives, to hear God's word for us, hear God's promise over us, and then see that worked out in and through our lives because it's a message of hearing and seeing. So we have this physical hearing and seeing, but to truly be able to experience this physical hearing and seeing and seeing the evidence in our life and understanding that this evidence truly is God is to have the spiritual eyes of our heart turned on to see the eyes of our heart come alive. Seeing is really not believing, as evidenced in the time of Jesus. Believing is seeing. People always say, if I see it, I will believe it. No, you will not. You've been seeing things for the last, you know, 50 years of your life, and you still do not believe it. You may see your miracle happen, but you may believe it's not a miracle. It's somehow explained by XYZ. You may see the fact that, you know, you've been living miraculously for the last 50 years and think that it's just coincidence. You're seeing it, you're experiencing it, but you may not believe that it's a miracle. You may not believe God is involved. So even though you see does not mean you're going to believe in what you see. You will believe based upon your reason, your logic. And that's just not kingdom, okay? And the reason why I say this, and we see this through scripture, I said seeing is not believing as evidenced in the time of Jesus because Jesus would perform miracles. The disciples would perform miracles and perform things that were the evidence of this kingdom life. And yet the people around them had a hard heart, were stubborn, stiff-necked, and did not believe. So although, although they were seeing here, they were not seeing here. You have to see here first before you see here so that you can connect what you see here to the reality that it actually is God what's happening in front of you. Let me read this uh, example for you, this passage in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 to 16. After Jesus had been teaching, it says here, and the disciples came and said to him, to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? A parable, basically, let me give you a, 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 an illustration to understand a parable. The actual word parable means a casting alongside. It would be like if I were to throw a treasure map uh, at you and it falls to your side, you have the choice whether or not to pick up the treasure map or not and search out the treasure. If you don't pick it up, it remains a mystery. But if you pick it up and you begin to search out the treasure, you will find it. That's what the disciples would do. They would literally hear this parable. It was like a casting alongside. They'd be so intrigued. They'd pick up this treasure map and they'd pursue Jesus in private, ask him the question, and then Jesus would show them what this treasure was. It was hidden within this treasure map. I'll give you an illustration just to understand what a parable was. The only people that understood stood these parables were those that sought Jesus out in private. This is why it says here, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to his disciples, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given for whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. What is he saying? To whomever has an understanding of the value of what has just been given and has the ability to pick up that treasure map and seek out the truth of that treasure will get more and will have an abundance. But whoever just lets that thing fall to the side, kind of like letting seed just fall to the side. It's like going to church. You can be in church and hear a message, hear it over and over again, but if you don't apply it to your life, you will lose even what you have. It's like the birds of the air come and snatch the seed. Teaching is like a seed. If you don't water the seed, I was saying this to someone last week, if you don't water the seed that you're given right away and apply it to your life, it will not take root. And when something does not take root, it gives an open invitation for the metaphoric birds of the air to come and snatch the seed away from you. That's why in the scripture, he's saying basically, if you have understanding If you have understanding and an ability to pick up the map that I throw at you and to seek out truth, to water that seed, to apply it to your life, it will grow in abundance. But whoever does not have that understanding, even what he has will be taken away from him. Verse 13, listen to this. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because, this is what I want to hone in on, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So he's saying seeing, they see something, but they don't really see. Remember, you have to have this turned on before you have these turned on so that they connect to that this is actually God is what they're witnessing. So they were seeing here, but they were blind on the inside. When you're blind on the inside, it doesn't matter what you see on the outside. It doesn't matter what you experience on the outside. Everything is reasoned away. And it's missed. I mean, in the religious case, in the Pharisaical Sadducee case, you know, often it was attributed to the works of the devil. Jesus' ministry was attributed as the works of the devil. You're casting out a demon by a demon. And Jesus' famous words that we've heard, you know, presidents say over the years, a house divided against itself cannot stand. If I was really casting out a demon by a demon, what would that make the demonic, you know, kingdom all about? It doesn't make any sense. That would be a divided kingdom kingdom. It will not happen. So it says in verse 14, and in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. This is a great example about how believing is seeing and how seeing is not believing as evidenced here. If it was the case, if you just saw, you would believe, man, everybody around Jesus would have believed probably because they were seeing some crazy stuff. And I think a lot of people, this has been a great divide in the global church where God begins to move in and even believers alike can't see what God's doing. They said, that's of the devil. That's not God. That's, And they make these hardline judgments. Yes, there are things that are not God's spirit. But I would say a lot of the time, we're so quick as believers to judge what we think is and is not of God based upon our inability to comprehend and understand how it could be God in the first place. And so this is the challenge where, where God wants to help our eyes, the eyes on the inside, turn on. Remember last week we talked about this, about the entry point into kingdom life is the born again experience and how the born again experience is not only a salvation experience, but an invitation to see on earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom as it is in heaven, the Matthew six prayer, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that you pray your kingdom come, my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The born again experience is our entry ticket, our invitation into experiencing the as it is in heaven experience in our everyday lives. We see this in John chapter three, verse three. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom, a kingdom of God. That word for see literally means to perceive and understand and come into an experience of the kingdom of God in our lives. And so for today, I want to dive into this concept a little more, seeing the kingdom. Write that down. Seeing the kingdom. Seeing the kingdom. Understanding the kingdom, let's call it part two, okay? We're going to continue to advance from the first week's message, which is why it's going to be so important for you to go back to the first week's message cause I laid out a real solid framework for where we're going with this theme of the kingdom. We are talking about accessing and partnering with the kingdom today. One of the greatest prayers that we can pray is this. God, help me see. God, help me see. Not with here, not with these eyes, but with these eyes. Help me see, not with these eyes, but with these eyes. And I believe God is going to turn on the eyes of our heart today in a whole new way. And Paul really honed in on this. He really honed in on this. and There's a reason why. But I would say that a little bit of the backdrop of My journey into this was, you know, from very early on, from my encounter, from the visitation I had in my car when I was uh, 18 years old, about to turn 19, this began a journey for me of hearing the voice of God. And I learned very early on that seeing was a huge component of recognizing, not just hearing, but recognizing the voice of God, because you can actually hear the voice of God by seeing, okay? All of your spiritual senses are interconnected, okay? They're all interconnected. And I'm gonna be diving more into this in my next uh, Hearing the Voice of God, Voice of God module number two, which is gonna be coming out this year. So stay tuned for that. If you haven't already tuned into my first Voice of God module on SupernaturalLeadership.com, check that out. But we're gonna dive into that more in that next school. We're gonna go in really deep on that. But this is what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about turning on, I believe, one of the most important parts of our senses, and this the eyes of our heart. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. So we don't walk by sight here. We walk by faith. Faith is the driving force of the believer the driving force of the believer. And he said it in Ephesians chapter 1 when he was praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come on the the church at Ephesus, the believers at Ephesus. He said, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come upon you so that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. They would turn on. Because the word revelation, it literally means to open one's eyes, to give someone an epiphany, to remove the blinders off of the eyes. And Paul was very well connected to this reality and this experience because when he had his encounter in Acts chapter 9, and you can read it in Acts chapter 9 verses 3 to 9, he had in his, his encounter, he was a uh, he was persecuting Christians. His name was Saul. He had a name change because God wanted to re-identify him, kind of like a picture of you know, what the gospel did for us, it re-identified us. We were once identified by sin and now we are identified by Christ as Christ followers. We become Christ-like. We made the righteousness of God in Christ. And so in Acts chapter nine, Paul is riding upon his pony and he gets struck down off of his horse. And what happens to him? He hears a voice. God opens the inside of his eyes for the first time. He knows that it's God the whole time that he's been trying to persecute, basically. And the, the voice says, Paul, why have you been persecuting me? I am the Lord. Like, why are you doing this to my people? All of a sudden, the eyes on the inside turn on and the eyes on the outside go blind for three days. He went blind for three days because he had lived his whole life based upon what he saw here. And lived his whole life, life blind on the inside. So his salvation experience was really a great illustration of what it means to walk by faith and not by sight, because he actually did that for three days, completely blind on the outside. Where but God had to do something while God did something on the inside. And this is the call for every believer that we would that God would turn on a sight for the kingdom within. So that when we see, when we see on the outside, we can recognize that it is in fact God that is moving amongst us. So that, by the way, that reference for, you know, Paul in the eyes of his heart was Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. And you can go there. Let's continue on. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul writing to the church at Corinth in the same, sort of in the same, just before actually, where he says in chapter 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. It says in verse 18 of chapter four, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is about a spiritual ability to see beyond the pain of current life circumstances. If you read the context before this verse leading up to it, he's talking about, although I'm pressed, although I have trouble on every side, like I'm not going to give up. I don't focus on what is seen around me, what's happening around me. I look through all of it and I can see the end. And because I have an eternal perspective, I can find peace while I'm in it. We talked about this in our peace series. Because I can see through it, I can actually walk through it. And this is so important. God wants to turn on the eyes. It says, "So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen." How do we focus on what is unseen? How do you see what's unseen? By letting God turn on, on the inside, by the spirit of wisdom revelation that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, letting God turn on the inside, the eyes of our hearts, so we can see the kingdom of God in our lives. We can see the kingdom of God in other people's lives. It's like looking at somebody that maybe you don't like. It's like, you can look on the outside, judge the outside. You can say, you know what? I don't like this individual. All I see is what I see. But when you begin to see with eyes of the kingdom, you see inside like God does. And when you can see inside, it blinds you to what you see on the outside and you begin moving in faith. And now you can encourage the very people that really you don't want to encourage because you see them right. You see them the way that God sees. We must see with eyes of the kingdom, where we don't see the problem, but we see the opportunity for God to release his kingdom in any situations. Write this down. Sometimes what we see stops us from what we are supposed to see. Sometimes what we see stops us from what we are supposed to see. God doesn't want you just to focus on the outside. And I'm gonna dive into this in a second in my first point, because I wanna share three uh, questions that I think we should be asking to help us along on this journey of seeing the kingdom. Number one, ask this question, where is he looking? If we're gonna see in the kingdom, we're gonna see the kingdom work in our lives, through our lives, ask this question, where is he looking? Where's God looking? Samuel, the prophet, was supposed to anoint the next king of Israel after Saul, but was too caught up with what he was seeing on the outside. Remember what I said, sometimes what we see stops us from what we are supposed to see. This was exemplified and is illustrated through the life of Samuel in this moment where he's supposed to anoint the next king. God's spirit was... Uh, God's assignment on Saul was now severed and David was going to be a new king. But in that process, Samuel was supposed to go to Jesse and anoint one of his sons. And so as you see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 to 13 says this, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, the firstborn, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So then Jesse called the next guy, made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by the next one, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons, passed before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the young men? Are they all here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. This story is very powerful because it's a rebuke. It's a correction. Not only was it for Samuel, but for us today. We will always fail and we will always struggle with judging somebody from the outside. Never met a man or woman in my life that has mastered the ability to not judge and to see with eyes of the God, because we're human and we mess up sometimes and we we look for patterns and we see things and we don't trust people. And sometimes it is discernment. Sometimes it's God's wisdom, but it's so often sometimes also, so often we, 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 we quickly make judgments on people based upon what they look like. And we assume, I mean, I lived this so much of the beginning years of traveling around the world as somebody who had like, Big, scary facial hair, big, thick earrings, all over, and then you know, big, long dreadlocks. Everywhere I went, people judged the outside. I had people constantly. I had some of the craziest, funniest stories of things that people, uh, people said to me. Even before I got up as the guest speaker at a church somewhere, uh, you know, over in Europe or something, you know, and, and then I get up on the stage and they're like, "Oh my gosh, people would repent." Saying, sorry for judging you. I judged you when you first came in. Judged you on the outside. Thought you just got out of jail. Like, I mean, the craziest things. And that's just human nature. That's just human nature. And Samuel, as a prophet, you think, I mean, this is God's prophet. He's not going to have this struggle. But Samuel looked at the firstborn and was like, this surely. This guy's the most strapping young, like the, the oldest. He's got the most experience. He must be the next king but really it was the youngest it was the one that even his own father didn't even consider Jesse didn't even consider him his own father was judging on the outside and wasn't seeing with eyes of the kingdom and this was a rebuke and it's still a rebuke for us and i want to i want us i want to encourage us in this season to ask this question over and over again when it comes to people in our life when it comes to um job opportunities, when it comes to anything that comes our way, this question of, God, where are you looking? Like, how are you seeing the situation? Because I see the outside. I see the job offer. I see the money. I see the perks. I see all this stuff, but is it really you? Help me to see through all of that stuff, through all the peripherals, through all the outside, external things that may change. Help me to see beyond that. And help me to know what it is that you are doing in Jesus' name. What a great prayer. Samuel had to get a hold of this. God, who is your anointed king? It was David, the most unlikely. It didn't make sense on the outside, but it was God's plan all along. Number two, what is he asking? What is he asking? Great question to ask is what is he asking? Jesus said to his disciples or asked the disciples to do something that is probably one of the most important tests. And that is the test of sight, the test of sight, one of the most important tests. Mark chapter six, 5,000 people, you know, they're, they're hungry. Jesus was teaching. He could have sent them away, get some food, but he was, he was compassionate, saw them like a, saw them like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to continue to teach and and they, they were there for quite some time. The disciples were like, we got to send these guys away. They're hungry. There's no food. And Jesus asks the disciples, you know, how many loaves do you have? And they answered the question and uh, in five and two fish. But something so powerful in verse 38 of chapter six of the gospel of Mark, it says, Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And the thing is, is that when God asks a question like that, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he's trying to get you to see what he really sees. So he says, how many loaves do you have? Not because he's curious as to how many loaves they have. He's curious to see how the disciples will respond after they've been with him, seen the miraculous, seen the miracles. And he says these two words or three words. He says, go and see. Like, Like, like going and seeing is going to change anything. Like they all know they don't have enough bread. They don't have enough fish to feed 5,000 people, which in that time would have been the men only counted, not including women and kids. So let's say 15,000 people. That's that's, that's like, and that's minimum. Let's say 15,000 people could have been 20,000 people. Who knows? Husband, wife, family, big families, kids, lots of people. And Jesus says, I think the most ridiculous but most profound spiritual question, Ask the most profound spiritual question. He says, go and see. How many do you have? Go and see. Go and see. Because he was trying to get them to see with eyes of the kingdom. He was trying to get them to see beyond their situation, through the challenge, and to see the opportunity for the miraculous. He was trying to get them to turn off their physical eyes and turn on their spiritual ones. Like I said, sometimes what we see stops us from what we are supposed to see. In this situation, they were supposed to see multiplication. In this situation, the disciples were supposed to see that in the kingdom, there's always more than enough. And so if Jesus is directing us and saying, hey, I'm keeping these people here, we're gonna feed them. How many loaves do you have? It's not because I really wanna know, it's because I wanna see where your faith is at. Go and see. Now I'm making you take a step of faith to go And actually look with eyes in the kingdom and see if you can see what I can see. Because I see the opportunity for a miracle. I see the opportunity for multiplication. I see an opportunity for all these people, 20,000 people, to experience the provision of heaven in a way they never have before. That's what I see. And that's the goal. That's why the most important prayer, I think, one of the most important prayers we can pray is God, help me see. Help me see. Help me see whatever it is that you want to do, help me to see it. Help me to see through. Help me to see through physical appearance. Help me to see through the peripherals. Help me to see through the external things around me. Help me see. So when I go and see and I look at my checkbook and God says, I want you to give this. Then I look at my checkbook or I look at my bank account. I'm like, I don't feel like I can do this. I can see through all that and say, God, if I see through eyes of faith, which which are the eyes really of the kingdom, then whenever God tells me to do something that makes no sense, because I can see and I walk by faith and not by sight, I will access and actually physically see the manifestation of the kingdom. Remember, when these eyes are turned on, these eyes begin to engage. And when these eyes are engaged, there's a transformation that happens. That's why, you know, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead and we will be saved. When we confess, it's an overflow of our heart, an overflow of our faith. And so there's a connection that happens. In that connection, both physical and spiritual, there's a transformation that happens. When that spiritual eyes, those spiritual eyes are turned on on the inside of us, and we take that step, and then we see the miracle, there is a transformation that takes place. And that's the goal of every revelation. Revelation. Of every eye opening revelation is not to make you smarter. It's not to make you more argumentative. It's not to, you know, give you the best testimony per se. It is so that it turns into a transformation in your life, which becomes a building block to build your spiritual maturity in your relationship with God. So, what is he asking? In this context, he's saying, go and see. Don't see the obstacles, see the opportunity. I remember in the beginning, of my ministry when I began to travel as an itinerant only. And a huge focus was praying for the sick all the time, you know, prophesying. Everywhere I went, this was like the, the the main focus of our ministry. And we saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people healed and set free and amazing things would happen. But I would, before I would go and pray, before I would minister, I often would, I would get myself in a place through meditation and just be still with God. And I would see by faith people being healed. I would see by faith what God wanted to do in the meeting. I would see by faith the gospel of the kingdom that I would read about in scripture being made manifest and demonstrated in the place I was going, on the street that I was going to, for that outreach, for that mission, for that church, for that conference. I would literally see it before it happened because I would always pray, God, help me to see what you see. Help me to see what you see. This brings me to my next point, number three, last point. What is he doing? What is he doing? Matthew 16, verse 19. Jesus talking to Peter. He says this, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When we have the key, we know what's already been bound and loosed in heaven. Because really, the way that you would actually read this verse is that it's kind of like this that whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. We are simply just trying to mirror what's already taken place in heaven, which is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever has happened and happening in heaven let that reality happen here okay let that reality happen here which really which is why Jesus said in John chapter 5 verse 19 you can read it most assuredly I say to you the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do for whatever he does the son also does in like manner i can do nothing jesus said on my own initiative but what i see my father doing. We need eyes to see, eyes of the kingdom to see what God is doing in every situation. And when we can see what God is doing, guess what? We get the keys of the kingdom. It's like the keys to the Rolls Royce, the keys of to our daddy's, you know, you know, Range Rover or whatever you want to call Lamborghini. We get the keys. Keys mean access. Keys mean authority. Keys mean, I know what's mine. I know what door I can walk through with this key. I know what door I can unlock. I know what's already been unlocked in heaven. I know what's already been loosed and bound in heaven. And therefore I can just simply mirror that and administrate that on the earth, in the world around me. We talked about this last week. That's why last week's message is so important because I'm kind of building from that. So I would really encourage you to go back if you haven't yet. So what is he doing? This was the question along with God helping me see, this was the question that I continued to ask God in the beginning of my spiritual journey. John 5, 19 became uh, probably uh, a staple verse in my prayer vocabulary. God, if Jesus said, I only really do what I see my father doing, that's my heart. Help me to see what God, help, help me to see what you are doing right now. And I would pray, I pray, this is back when I was single. If you've heard my testimony of the first six months of my journey, I'd spend four to eight hours a day in the word, in prayer. And I would pray, God, help me to do only what I see you doing. And I would pray. And God would often bring me into a vision of what he wanted me to do that day. And it would be random sometimes. God would say, I want you to drive 45 minutes, you know, East of where you live, to this place, to this spa. I want you to walk in. You're going to see a woman. She's the manager there. She looks like this with short hair, kind of heavier set. She'll be behind the counter. You need to go in there and you need to pray for her, pray for her back, pray for her knee, prophesy over her. and God would give me these words. And I, I would have some of the most powerful encounters happen. And sometimes he would even give me the time. Like, I want you to be there for like 1135 because she's gonna be there at that time. And the looks on some of these people's faces when I would come in, imagine you're working at the spa, you're hanging out, you're like, you know, the manager of the spa, this random person, Big long dreadlocks comes in and says, hey, listen, I was praying and I saw you in a vision this morning and I felt God told me to drive here at 1135. You'd be in this place right now and this is what's going on in your life and you 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 need a healing in your back and can I pray for you right now? And the looks on these people's faces and this happened frequently to me and this was the beginning foundation of my journey of helping me learn the value of being led by the spirit by asking God, God, what are you doing today? Like, what are you doing today? What do you want to do today? What what, what thing can I partner with you in to see your kingdom? Because I want to see your kingdom. I want to see your kingdom. I see that, God, you've called me to this. And so if you've called me to this, then I have a promise to experience the reality of this on the outside in evidence. And this is what God is calling us to do, seeing in the kingdom. What I want you to do right now, wherever you are, wherever you are, I hope this encouraged you. I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up with me right now. Just just stand up if you can, if you're watching, uh, if you're listening by, by in your car, of course, you got to sit down. But if you have the ability, stand up with me. And I just want you to open up your hands just like this, just like this, and just close your eyes. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. Because as you have your eyes closed, something that I want you to realize is that the feeling you feel right now with your eyes closed, Is what faith looks like and it's supposed to look like every day remember faith we walk by faith not by sight so sometimes you got to close your eyes to remember what faith feels like faith feels like I don't know what's gonna happen if I walk towards this direction I think I'll be okay I'm not sure though so I'm gonna trust I'm going to trust myself or in this case, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God with my walk. I don't really know how it's going to pan out. I might fall. I might trip up. I might run into a wall, but I'm going to trust God. That's what faith often feels like. It feels like eyes closed to everything around us and to really, to really let the eyes on the inside turn on, to trust him so that we can see on the outside and be transformed in our life. And so wherever you are, just keep your hands out keep your eyes closed. I want to pray for you. Jesus, I pray right now that you would turn on the eyes of our heart to see the kingdom. Like what Jesus said to John the Baptist, go tell John the Baptist what you hear and see. Yes, talking about physical, but God, I pray that you would turn on the spiritual. Like Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 19, that God, our, the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would see to see, to know what God's called us to. I pray that God, you would, I don't know what it's gonna take, God, in this season. Maybe sometimes we just have to like, close our physical eyes to some of the things going on around us so we can begin to see through those things and see the opportunity that God has for us. Maybe, maybe the news is causing us to not see with the kingdom, to see kingdom, Maybe the news, maybe the, the trauma that's happening in the world around us, the chaos is causing us to not be able to see kingdom. Maybe we're judging the outside. Maybe we're judging people, judging relationships, judging career decisions or whatever by what we see. I pray that we would see with eyes of the kingdom in this season. Help us to metaphorically go blind to the things that are robbing our sight on the inside. God, we pray that in this season of life, as we continue to grow in the Spirit, God, that you would open up our eyes, open up our eyes to experience your kingdom in a powerful, powerful way, powerful way. I mean, this is what you did on the cross, Jesus. You died on a cross to open up our spiritual eyes. You died on. A, I was once that famous song, "Amazing Grace." I once was blind, but now I see. It's not talking about a physical blindness, but a spiritual blindness. I was once blind to the kingdom. I was blind to God's love. I was blind to God's grace. But now I really see. Maybe that's you right now. You've been blind to God's grace, God's love. God's love and grace looks like this, a cross. But it didn't end there. It was only the beginning. It ended at the resurrection. It ended at the resurrection. He died on a cross. He took on the sin of you and I in, the, in his physical body so that we could be released From the sin, the stain of sin in our spiritual body. And then be raised to new life in his resurrection. As he was raised from the dead, we would be raised to new life. And Ephesians 1 says, and then seated with him in heavenly places. Have perfected union with him. Become one with Christ. This is the mystery of the gospel, that we are one with Christ. We are connected, we are unified in Christ. We have an inheritance in Christ because we are unified. Because of the great act on the cross and the resurrection, we can be saved, we can be set free, we can be delivered of ourselves and all the things that are holding us back. Maybe you're in this room right now or you're in this your room right now, wherever you're watching from, the car, listening from, the car on Facebook, whatever, maybe you're watching right now and you've never made that decision to let him in to let him become the priority in your life. Let him become number one. You've let everything else become number one, but not him. He wants to be your number one because in the end, when you die, that's all that's gonna matter. It's not gonna matter what your friends thought about you. It's not gonna matter of what kind of car you drove and all the money that you had. What's gonna matter is your relationship with Jesus. How did you love? How did you emulate that relationship with Jesus on the earth? How did you love your neighbor? How did you take care of your neighbor? Me- neighbor, be speaking metaphorically, anybody around you, anybody around you, in, in in the world around you. How did you extend that love based upon the relationship that you had with Him? If you don't, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity right now just to say yes. It says in Romans chapter twelve or chapter ten, Paul wrote this: If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that He's God, and that. He, ra- he was raised from the dead on the third day. You will be saved. You will be set free. All you have to do is say yes. I confess that you're God, Jesus, that you are the only way. You are the truth. And the only way that I can find life is through you. When you make that statement, a transformation happens. And it's exactly what we read in the beginning in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you will not see The kingdom of god the kingdom of god to see the kingdom of god it starts it starts at that salvation moment when you say yes i want to see god but before i see i need my spirit to be reborn born from above i was born but i was born in the image of adam shrouded in darkness covered in the stain of sin because of one man's sin but jesus you came the bible calls him the second adam to destroy that line of sin in and through our lives, through the born again experience. Why do we need to be born again? Because we were first born in sin. And once we're born again, now we're born from above, made in the likeness and image of God. The moment you say yes to Jesus, that hap- That transformation happens. And all things, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all things become new all things become new. The old has passed away. You become a new creation in Christ. This is the invitation. This is the beginning introduction to seeing the kingdom in and through your life in Jesus' name. If you said that today and you meant it, I want to encourage you. That's the best decision you will ever make. we want to hear from you. Please email us. Let us know how we can pray for you. We want to celebrate this new journey that you are on. For everybody else watching right now, I want to pray for all of us one last time. God, I pray that in this season of life, we would see the kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Kingdom Culture. We'll see you next week.